This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Um, my name's Denise Erickson, and um, for those I haven't met before, I've worked in the business for a very long time. I'm currently TV writer for The New Daily, and I also work for an online um, distribution company called The Rights Exchange. Um, I do begin, though, by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land upon which we meet today, the Wanjiri people of the Kulin Nation, and to pay my respects to their elders past and present. Um, I love working with Adrian Swift, I have to tell you. Um, everybody knows who he is, so I'm not even going to bother introing him. The reason I love working with him is because when I was working as an as um, independent producer for a big company and I was going into pitch with him, we'd sit there with a cup of tea, I'd run through my show reels, I'd go through my pitches and he'd go, yes, no, hate it, What's, what drug are you on? Um, so Adrian and I have always had a, um, a very sort of honest relationship. So therefore, I think he's perfect to talk today about stirring the pot, because he's very good at stirring the pot, as you know. Um, we are going to take questions at the end, um, but let's get into the discussion. I think Adrian, you think you all know him, but actually he has got a little secret in his past that you may not know about. Adrian started at SBS and uh, Channel, uh, Journal at Channel 9 as well. or just was a Journal at the Sydney Morning Herald, in fact. That's right. And then SBS. And then he got taken to England for a rather extraordinary experience called Live TV. Now, I don't know how many people know about this, but it was set up by Robert Maxwell, when the newspaper proprietor, Daily Mirror. Correct? Correct. Um, when he had not much money, but television aspirations. He had lots of money from his, that he stole from people's pension funds. That's right, but he didn't we, put it into a TV channel. So can I just show you a clip of live TV, which I think indicates just the sort of background that Adrian's got in controversial television and learning from a particular master called Kelvin McKenzie, who was editor of The Sun. So let's just have a look at this rather ropey clip, which sort of was a rather ropey TV experience, but it's awesome. <laughs> so, there's nothing I can say about that. As we <laughs> oh, I think there is. I mean, how, like, <laughs> indeed, we were. That's right. We were the internet because you, you couldn't see those things on your computer in those days. You could only see big city tips on live TV where you got the stock prices as Tiffany took her clothes off. What's wrong with that? <laughs> but, yeah, thanks, Steve. I mean, it must have. <laughs> You did learn about controversial television from a master. Is that so shocked you're leaving or so shocked you're arriving? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so Kelvin was the master, but it, it speaks, I guess, to the issue that we all have today. Funnily enough, it's been reversed. I think the issue that, that free-to-air broadcasters like Channel 9 have today is we need to be noisy to cut through all those other channels. In those days, there were only probably 40 or 50 subscription TV channels. Some were delivered by Sky. These were delivered by cable, by NTL and Telewestern in, in the UK. And we needed to be noisy to... Well, you're never going to compete with the BBC, but you needed to be noisy to get on people's agendas. And if you had Rusty Goff uh, presenting Britain's bounciest weather, uh, one, of the, one of the Oompa Loompas in his day, in the original... Uh, Gene Wilder version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you had him on a trampoline and he could never quite reach Scotland 
people talked about that. And actually, for, for all its apparent horror, uh, it actually got a lot of cut through and it was the number one cable channel on cable in the UK for the seven or eight years that it was on air. So define controversial for me then. Because the point of the session is that we're talking about how you, how you successfully and unsuccessfully use controversy in television. Controversy is something that, that just challenges your opinions and shows you something that you would not normally see in that place and via that medium. Controversial in television is actually a lot less controversial than what's on the internet. So, you know, controversy is judged, I think, by the medium via which it's delivered. But it's seeing things you would never normally see in a context you would never normally see, and ideally things that fundamentally challenge your assumptions about a subject. How do I mean? What's a good controversial program for you and its principles? So, oh, married, married at first sight. How can I not talk about that? Yes, and we will um, be talking about that. But it's controversial, and it is controversial. But the premise is controversial. So, I guess for us, what's great about that show is the premise is controversial, and then what's happened in front of the cameras is doubly controversial. So it's controversy squared. It's as good as it gets for us. It's a. It was a a Danish format from a little company called Snowman. Um, and it was first produced in, in Denmark. And it was really first produced as a kind of uh, a, an arranged marriage show. So what happened if, if actually we, are uh, uh, these sort of paragons of, of, of Scandinavian sort of socialist virtue would use a much, uh, a much more restrictive version of how we brought couples together. And in the Danish version, it had a priest and I think it had an imam. It was much, it was much more a pure social experiment style show. And that's what it was online when we first did it. But that's, that was the genesis of the program, a controversial subject that kind of challenged your, your preconceptions about marriage. And because it, it, when we spoke before the session, you did say that it needs to take you on a journey, that it doesn't demean or diminish people. And while it explores controversial views, how do you um, avoid diminishing or demeaning people on controversial shows? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. So. We, we ponder this all the time. Um, and as I'm fond of saying, we can't put to air anything that doesn't actually happen in front of the cameras, and we don't. And I think certainly at nine, and, I, and with Endemol Shine, who make the show for us, we, we have an absolute basic tenet of how married is cut, and this I think applies to everything on nine, where we're not fundamentally trying to manipulate what happens. In fact, not even slightly trying to manipulate what happens. So we've got a current character called Anthony, Who's a, who's a race caller and who says the most extraordinary misogynistic things. And, and we never saw that coming. When we met Anthony, he was just a kind of quite good looking, quite pleasant, kind of bit doofusy guy, unlucky in love. Perfect for this show. We had no idea what, what lurked within. Now, Anthony said the most outrageous things. He's been horribly trolled uh, on, on Twitter, but also on Facebook. Um, uh, but all of that Anthony said, and one of the great things about, about the conversation we've been having with him is, is not about did he say that. He, he at no point has ever said to us, you have misrepresented me. He said, I feel very uncomfortable the way that, that, that this is playing out, but I understand it's what I said. But the conversation we did end up having was, how can we minimise all that negativity around him? So I guess what we ended up doing in that context was we ended up not posing any negative questions. What do you think about what Anthony just said on, on the show last night? All those things that would, that would set fire to that kind of conversation, we tried to shut down. But, but to your point, I guess the basic tenet of what we do with all these shows is we are not there 
to generate controversy via misrepresentation, but we are there to generate controversy, and we make it very clear to all concerned that the cameras are there. You know, like Big Brother, in, in fact, it's a bit different to Big Brother, because in Big Brother, they used to forget the cameras were there, because they were behind camera races with one-way mirrors. We're actually standing there in front of them. So there's no misinterpretation about whether it's being filmed. But you say that, but how, is, how far is Married at First Sight finished filming? Yes. So Anthony's presumably watching himself unveil on TV. Yes. How's he feeling about it all? As, as described. He, he feels, that he knows that's what he said, he knows that's what's happened. Okay. But it's, I think it's a matter, you know, we, both, both the network and the producers have a duty of care to him. Um, he's not disputing anything that's been said on air. And I think he looks at himself and goes, wow, okay, that's not... That's not the me I understand me to be. I mean, yeah. as you know, television's a terrible thing. It, it makes you fatter, and frankly, far, you know, to speak to the, the topic of today, it makes you far more controversial. Yeah. And I think he's surprised at that. But what we've tried to do is put things around him to protect him from some of the worst aspects of that. Okay. Um, I'm going to just run a few clips to talk about some specific issues around generating controversy. And we've chosen one from My Kitchen Rules because um, promos in particular are often great vehicles that have very little to do with the program often um, to help generate controversy um, to get people watching. And I thought this was a really good case in point, even though obviously it's not one of Adrian's programs, I think it's actually worth discussing is how you set out to get an audience using controversial techniques. Can we have that first clip, please? I mean, the thing about Angry Man is that he was a brilliant cook and he was absolutely superb. But how do you, I mean, you, how do you go about doing that sort of stuff? Well, well we don't. But, but oh, seven... Adrian, you do. <laughs> oh, dream on, baby. You might no, not do it with my kitchen roll. No, I want to be completely clear. I, I, I take my hat off to that. That is really cleverly done. And I suspect, I don't know, so I'm, I'm just, you know, riffing here. I suspect Angry Angry Man just came out of a grab that someone had and then they just built on it and built on it. You know, it's what Seven do really well. It's what MKR's done really well. It's taking the tiniest of controversies and making them seem like a tsunami has wiped out Western Australia. It's, it's extraordinary the way they do it. You know, there was the MSG controversy the other day. Um, really? There's a, there's a controversy about MSG? No, Donald Trump has just banned Muslims from six countries. That's a controversy. <laughs> MSG is not a controversy. But, but God bless them, those promos, in the end, I wanted to watch what the MSG controversy yeah. was. Yeah. And look, it's, it's important to understand that so many of these shows, and I, it's absolutely the case with Married, they, they do become soap operas. And Look, what underpins this from a commercial network standpoint, so as program makers, I guess it's, it's been a fundamental shift from bottled episodes, closed-ended episodes, to multi-night strips in Australia. We are the only, we are the only country in the world that does strips every night. Um, but what it means is you've got to have these narratives that run night to night and then cliffhangers that run from the end of your run, typically on a Tuesday or Wednesday for us and seven and on a Thursday for ten, that carry you through to the following Sunday night. So with all these shows, what you're trying to do is build a narrative that's sufficiently interesting to keep you going. What seven have done really well, and as I say, I, it's extraordinary how well they've done it, is they make a little cooking show where, you know, the cocoa goes missing and it all turns to mud, um, and turn that into the most important thing that's ever happened in, in, in the life of that little place and time in the world. And that's genuinely clever, but it's done for a reason. It's done because of the way viewers are currently consuming free-to-air television in Australia. Um, and, and I guess the other thing that's good for us, good for us as networks and all of that, is that frankly, if we had to make new shows every night, we'd run out of money. 
the problem that all freeware networks have, and I don't, I'm not here to cry poor, but genuinely that we all have, is that you know, we're under immense budgetary pressures. And one of the things that the strip does for us, quite apart from the fact that it's what the audience want, because God knows we at Channel 9 have tried to break that paradigm several times and have been just completely crushed by the bus of, you know, MKR or I'm a celebrity trying to do one night a week shows, uh, the reality is that that is the way the audience consumes. Therefore, that is what we give them. And when it changes, we'll change too. Probably a season behind, but we'll change too. And so controversy um, is obviously, as, as you say, creating a soap opera for people. If you watch, you know, one of the things, when you, whenever you go to MIP in, in Cannes and you see the, the, the teasers for the Spanish and Korean telenovelas, yeah. The hooks in those telenovelas are exactly the same as My Kitchen Rules yeah. or Married at First Sight or any of those things. It is about generating that kitchen sink controversy that carries you from one thing to the next. And, you know, controversy, it, it does owe a lot to the good old-fashioned 50s American soap opera. You know, what, what we love about Married and what we didn't know would happen, we genuinely didn't know this would happen, we didn't realise it would turn into the soap opera it's become, but, you know, every, every morning at 9.04 when the ratings come in, I certainly am pathetically grateful that it's become this soap opera. And that controversy is what carries you through the soap opera. And I think that for producers it's quite interesting. One of the next clip I want to play is from Married at First Sight. Um, because this is a really great producer decision of watching and listening to a story that they actually didn't know was going to happen. So could we play that clip please? No, you, you don't do that, Adrian, I can tell. That look was perfect. I, look, but, the, but Denise, you know, there's just a moment, literally, when that happens, yeah. and it happens to anyone who's ever made a documentary. Yeah. There's a moment that something happens in front of you and you don't know what's going to happen. We had crews running in every direction when she turned up. We had no idea she was going to be there, and it was fantastic. And it, it's what makes making these shows fun is when you don't know what's going to happen. And she was just brilliant. And, you know, it was a really exciting moment. We were all just going, wow, who is this person? Because we didn't know who she was, and she kept lying. She lied to us about who she was. She lied to Cheryl about who she was. Complete. I mean, she's not a sister. Is no, she? she's not a sister. She's a friend. She's actually a friend of an ex-girlfriend. So she's several characters removed. <laughs> but, but what makes these? What? So why that work? I mean, we know why it works. But why is that good? And I guess where it works in the context of a show like this, and I guess this is a kind of producer's note is there are the people who are in the experiment and they've signed up for the experiment and to an extent they're kind of complicit in the whole thing. So they say what they say but I think as a viewer you kind of get their complicit in the show. What's great with a show like this is the big characters who come in from the outside have nothing to do with it, have not signed up to anything, have not agreed to be part of it at all but give you this absolute external view of what's going on and that's really exciting and that, that's not dissimilar to any documentary you've ever made. And remember this show started as a little obstock. And the first three seasons on Nine, it was a small and, and I thought beautifully made obstock shot by PDs and, and shot over a long period of time and in that very high shooting ratio that obstocks tend to throw off. And, and we had to turn it into this because obviously there was, you know, we saw what the audience was, the demand for the show. And we felt, we always felt there are whole lots of things that we didn't explore in the obstock. So what's really interesting in this is we took it from a little obstock with plenty of controversy, but most of the controversy in the premise, and we turned it into a strip and the controversy just kept coming. And I think, you know, having just listened to Graham Mason this morning from Screen Australia and talking about adapting or dying, which is effectively what he was saying, I think that the key lesson out of something like this show is that exactly what you're saying is started off with a pretty small obdoc, 
which was controversial for you know five minutes because of the title, and you've turned it into something which is still obdoc at heart, but a const more constructed obdoc. Is that mm. a fair summation? Yes. And and the, the hard thing was to give people to keep the soul of an obdoc. You know, because that's what people bought. They bought the soul of a genuine obstock. And I guess what's different between Married and MKR is what Seven are really good at doing is that constructed reality. What we did with this was we put them into the experiment and literally it just kept happening in front of the cameras. You know, there was, there's, to the extent that, that, that you edit what you edit and you feature what you feature, there is that component of manipulation. But actually, what people were doing and what was happening, we didn't manipulate at all. And that's that kind of, I guess it's a kind of viral moment when a show moves from one thing to another. And, and the other thing we tried very hard not to do is have reality contestants. So we had about... 10,000 applications for the show, and we've got, we're going to have about 15,000 for the, for the subsequent series. So when we winnowed that down, the, the absolute guiding principle was no reality contestants. Now, you could argue that maybe one or two slipped um, through the Cheryl. net. Cheryl. <laughs> Do you know? I love her, but she, you know, We talked a lot about Cheryl before we put her in, but, but, but what, what's great about a show like this is, A, its DNA is in Obstock, but yeah. B, what's great about it, if you're making a show like this, you've got your core cast of characters who are doing things within the construct of the show, but what, makes the, what gives this show depth and what we'll do more of next year are those external characters who come in and bring you that external commentary that is in no way beholden to the show itself. Yeah, and I particularly like that show, even though, I mean, I love the characters in it. And I think it all comes back to whatever story it is that you're telling in, in factual television, um, it comes back to casting. And the, the last clip that we've got to play is one from Travel Guides, which is a series some of you may not have seen. It's quite new. It's been on for, what, three weeks, something mm -hmm. like that? Week four tonight. Yeah. Just tell us a Give us a little spin on what it is before we uh, play the clip. Travel Guides is basically Gogglebox for travel, and it's a Stephen Lambert format. Uh, we've changed it pretty fundamentally with Stephen's input, um, but Stephen Lambert, the kind of doyen of formats. Um, but it's a, you know, we send ordinary Australians travelling around the world doing extraordinary things, and it really is. I, mean, I think the one-line pitch to us was Gogglebox for travel, and we really like the idea. What we love about it is we've cast proper ordinary Australians. The casting on this was really, really, really well done. We spent a lot of time with it. Who we, did the casting for you? It was done by our, it was done by our internal casting team um, at Nine, and um, and we're really, really happy with the, with, with the six uh, groups we've got. But have a look for yourself. Yeah. Oh, this is shot. In the, this is from the first episode, and it's in Japan. They're all in Tokyo, and a lot of them um, are not regular overseas travellers. And what that reminds me of, in a way, is you know you look back over documentary and factual history, and there's been so many travel shows, and this is to me the contemporary version of a travel program, really, isn't it? Look, what we really like about it, those two, Stack and Mel, have not even never left Australia. They've never left Queensland. And they so, thought they were in China in that episode. And so they, yeah, they go to Tokyo and they go, it's lovely being here in China. Yeah. <laughs> do they speak Chinese? But but that's but we're not there to make fun of them because actually they do it they do it guilelessly and charmingly. <laughs> but when they when they meet the receptionist at the hotel in Tokyo and the the receptionist hands them the keys, Mel takes the receptionist's hands and says, "Haven't you got beautiful small hands?" And she does it in this charming guileless way that that only two rodeo girls from Queensland could do. The the Refai's, a Lebanese family from Sydney, 
The real Habibs. The real Habibs. They're just a delightful, funny, dysfunctional family. And actually, you get... Again, it's one of those things where the casting is everything. You get the the joy of their view of the destination, but you also get their family dynamic, which is just extraordinary. They're just a lovely, warm, funny family who, you know, the father was born in Lebanon, the mother and the two sons were born in Australia, but, but they're exactly like Australians. They just take the piss out of themselves, but in a very Lebanese way. It's a really interesting kind of cross-cultural uh, view of them and how they travel. Actually, weirdly, they're the best travellers. By far, they're the best travellers. You know, they, 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 they understand what they're seeing and they respond to people when they get there really, really well. And then the friend family from, from Newcastle, they run a German restaurant in Newcastle. Um, hashtag no filter. I've never met anyone like them. They're fantastic. Everything they see, they love. And everything they just... Everything is, is a thing of joy and wonderment to them. And it's really difficult to find people like that. But it's, it's interesting seeing travel through the lens of those people. Where we've received a lot of criticism is, how dare you send Australians like that overseas? It's such a bad... Exa- you, you, you're, you're representing us so badly overseas. But as Denise and I were saying when we started, we all travelled for the first time and we all behaved like that. And it's lovely seeing, I reckon it's lovely seeing travel through fresh eyes rather than travel presenters going around pointing at things. Mm. And I think a lot of the controversy from the show actually came from social media, which is one of the reasons why I chose the clip. Because I was watching the show and watching social media at the same time. And where, God, people shoot from the lip. And, but, you know, how much do you play to social media to generate controversy in shows? And what's the impact of social media? It creates controversy. So we've spent years and years and years watching the internet slowly chip away at traditional broadcast television. So, you know, we as a free-to-air broadcaster, and I speak as a free-to-air broadcaster, and we have a very specific view of the world, um, the internet's been difficult for us until we got to catch up, and actually it's now working once again in our favour. But but what's the benefit of, of social media? It mostly talks about television. Now, controversy is great to a point, and we love the fact that that the smallest things create the biggest controversy on social media. The biggest problem for us is, and this gets back to what I was talking about earlier, controversy is a function of the medium on which it's delivered. We're controversial on television in a, in a way that I don't think fundamentally contravenes sort of moral boundaries or, or our duty of care to our contributors, yet on social media these things become catch fire and they become vicious. And I guess the biggest conundrum that we face is something that on television is just extraordinary and, you know, worthy of, of comment. Did you see what he just said on the TV, darling? On social media becomes something quite different. And I guess it's, it is a real conundrum for us. How do we stop that? And we spend a lot of our social media time creating controversy via the on-air medium that sometimes we have to hose down over here. So, look, it's good in as much as that we're being talked about. Often it gets out of control in as much as that contributors who've done nothing wrong but and who are... Who are uh, uh, and, look, this happens to Q&A as much as it happens to Married at First Sight, um, uh, are making a perfectly valid point gets completely out of control on social media. So controversy is a double-edged sword in that sense. Do you ask producers to suggest to the talent that they don't watch social media, that they don't Oh, yes, we often it? suggest that they don't watch social media. Yeah. It can be incredibly destructive. And, but, but we also spend a lot of time just deleting comments and hosing things down. Yeah. So we try and host things on our forums where we have a little bit of control, and we do, we do try and get rid of the worst of it. But often with, with Married, and you know, you're getting... Or The Voice, for instance, where you're getting you know, 2,000 tweets a minute, 
you just can't keep control of it. Can't moderate it. Yeah. No. Um, I actually had a question I wanted to ask you out of um, Married at First Sight, because that is advice for producers, really. Do you, how do you make sure that your producers are able to pick up when an Emily or an Emma pops into your show with loads of cameras all over the place? What do you brief your producers about how to look for those moments? We'll follow the action. It's it's what all of us do. Is you know, I mean, uh, my background's in news. You know, you 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 you. You just follow the action. Don't, don't ever let. And this is a very clear brief. Don't ever let the construct stop you from following where the action goes. And you know, uh, sometimes that means not following the action. That sometimes that means something is really raw and awful and uncomfortable, and you need to stop and put the camera down. And you know, we do that from time to time too. But look, what's the benefit of supersizing married and the, going from effectively several PDs in a kind of obstock for, format to the way we're shooting it now, which is lots of cameras, is you've got enough cameras to follow the action, which helps generate the controversy, which leads to what we've ultimately ended up with. All right. Um, we've only got five minutes left because this is like a woozy-do fast session. And I don't want Adrian to go away without telling us what sort of controversial things he's looking for at the moment so that if producers in the audience want to come and pitch to you, what sort of things are you looking for in a factual area? Look, I think I think the one thing we know that has worked is is social documentary. You know, social commentary Con constructed documentary that, that sets up a premise and then delivers on that premise. Now, the one I always go back to that I always really like, you know, we're not doing anything with it, but I think is a really, really good example of it is is the week the women left which I think was started in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and there was a town where all the women just left and left the men to their own devices for a week. And it's just a fantastic example of a constructed observational documentary. And I guess, you know, what, what's at the core of what Free to Air does? We're here basically to do news and sport and noisy TV shows, people, shows that people talk about. We can't do what Foxtel does and have lovely slow burn shows that go round and round and are repeated and repeated. The first window on a show for us is, is the big window and the, sh and the window by which a show lives and dies. So a show has to be big and noisy and generate an audience in its first window and its first showing. And that puts tremendous pressure on, on, on ideas. So it's those ideas where you go, bloody hell, I never thought of that. Wow, what would that be like? How would that play out? Um, they're the things that we're after. You know, everyone's piling into the relationships bandwagon now. I, I noticed seven of it, about forecasting calls for relationship shows. Um, you know, we're in that market too. Um, you know, we're interested in all those areas where there's a human dynamic overlaid over either a controversial idea or an idea we all know and love. So a controversial idea, married at first sight, idea we all know and love, the block. So renovating. But it's, a, but it's a soap opera about renovating. Married at first sight, putting people in an extraordinary situation and then watching the, the drama unfold. Um, I have got time for just a couple of questions. Um, the, anybody, uh, sorry, um, um, but before, while we're getting the microphones, if anybody wants to ask a question. Um, when controversy is a bad thing is when a program's tanking and going tits up. I mean, mm. how do you manage that? You know, because that's not good controversy, controversy, is it? Like, like everyone, you write it out. Yeah. You know, you, when, when things go wrong, and things often go wrong, yeah. and sometimes a show can go down in the middle of a run and everyone's part of it, it's, it's the hardest thing in the world, but you write it out. Okay, has anyone got any questions? Up there, oh good. I can't see, but... 
Thanks very much, Adrian, for your insights. I'm just interested, this is kind of a technical question. When that lady Emma walks into that scene, unplanned, what do you then do in terms of, um, of uh, releases and getting uh, on side in terms of actually being able to broadcast that material? We approach them afterwards and get a signed release. So, and sometimes we don't get signed releases. And what do you some do of the then? Best, some of the best sequences on Married you will never see because we didn't get a signed release. Uh, tis, but, but we all know what that's like. You know, the, the, hardest, the hardest thing in the world is not filming it or capturing it. The hardest thing in the world is often getting a release. But she was very happy to sign a release. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? Because it is bang on half an hour. Has anyone else got anything that we'd like to ask before? Oh, good. One more. G'day, thank you very much. You're saying to avoid demeaning and diminishing people, but I just feel that almost every clip we saw then had an element of that. Do you believe that, that there is some importance in perhaps cheekily doing so, whilst also respecting them? Uh, I disagree with the premise of the question, so it's hard to answer. No, I, I disagree with you. I think, uh, look, live TV, you could argue, probably did, but, but I don't think anything on travel guides or anything on Married at First... In fact, anything on MKR demeaned or diminished any of those people. Right. Uh, you know, I, the one thing I can tell you is people come off MKR, no one's, no one's going, you, you fundamentally demeaned or diminished me. On Married, it's not an issue we have, and on travel guides, everyone's desperate to sign up again. So Just the way you're editing it, though, I mean, as you say, you're focusing on those little moments which don't necessarily represent exactly what happened? But what we could do is we could run the camera tapes that represent exactly what happened and no one would watch. There's not, we're not deliberately trying to manipulate, you know, it's called television. It's, there's, there's a thing called editing that compresses time and sadly... And also I think the other thing too in this day and age is God knows if people have watched television they know what they're signing up for. We're not back in the old days where when I was, you know, Adam was a baby, um, but where people were, had no idea what they were signing up for, like the first series of Big Brother. Mm. But now, for God's sake, that's what people sign up for. Yeah. They love it. 15 minutes of fame. Look, I'm sorry, but we are going to have to wrap it up. Adrian, you're a star. I love you a bit. Thanks very much. And thanks very much to the audience. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website. <laughs>